Hello and welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. I'm Kelly, your shop owner and your host for this podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us tonight or today or whatever time you're listening to this. We are talking about the blessing of the dark night of the soul. Sounds intense, right? The dark night of the soul. Well, I'm here to tell you that it is. It's a very intense time, uh, usually a time of, of a massive upgrade and awakening. And sometimes that time can feel really scary, especially if you don't know what it is and you don't have the tools to navigate through it. It's a really uh, unique experience for every individual, but there are common threads that link them all together. And it just shows that you are being initiated to the next level of your spiritual experience and journey. It's uh, an omen of change. And so We've got a wonderful discussion today with Priya Laki, and she is going to really get into what this is. What is the dark night of the soul? How can this life-changing experience be navigated through, and what tools do we need to really get through it so that we're not clinging to the past and we're able to move forward to the into the future? So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. And then I'd like to just offer you an opportunity again to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. Every single time you guys leave us a review, it helps more and more people find this information. We do these classes every week for free, and we release them the following week for you guys to enjoy. And there's nothing that makes us happier at Modern Mystic Shop than having this information spread far and wide so we can support more and more people on their own personal journeys of transformation. So share it with a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz. And without further ado, The Blessing of the Dark Night of the Soul by Priya Laki. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to uh, present on this topic. And so I've been told to put the microphone on my chin, so if it sounds a little funny, Someone will have to let me know. Uh, good morning. How are you all? Yeah? Can we take a collective breath together? How about one more of those? Yeah, thank you. You all made it here. And I'm really, really, really grateful that you've taken the time on this July 4th weekend, Sunday morning at 11, to be here to talk about uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart and a topic that I have personal experience in and I help guide clients through. And so I want to just tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do in town and how I came to be standing in front of you today talking about this topic. Uh, can you hear me in the back? Yeah, perfect. Um, so my name is Priya, and as of two and a half years ago, I was a criminal defense lawyer. And I worked here in Atlanta and New York City, and I worked specifically with clients on death row. And so it was the only thing I ever thought I wanted to do, and it was the only thing other than being a doctor, that my very conservative Indian parents wanted me to do. And so my story starts when I was five years old and my family immigrated here to the United States from India. And we entered an entirely different world. 
And then when I was 10, my only sibling, Ashwin, was born, and my entire life changed. Because my brother was born with a birth defect and special needs, and my family, we didn't really know how to cope. And so my mom went in one direction, and I went another direction, and my dad went into another direction, and I became an adult at 10 years old. And through that process, I recognize now that that was my first dark night of the soul, because we have these experiences throughout our lives. And we eventually came back together as a family, recognizing that this is what we needed to do. But in a very traditional Indian household that believes a lot in karma, we all believed karmically we had somehow created a huge turmoil in our life, not recognizing the blessing of what was to come. And long story short, my brother is, is great and happy and married and two beautiful kids, and I'm not married and no kids, so he's really fulfilling the family dream. <laughs> and so that's great for me. But that was my intro into the dark night, and I just didn't know it at the time. Um, fast forward, I went to law school, and... I did everything I was supposed to do. I got a degree, I got a job, I had a boyfriend, I had a house, and on the outside, everything seemed to go exactly as it should, and on the inside, I felt completely caged in and unfulfilled. But the thing was, I didn't know what to do about it because no one ever teaches you how to deal with the emotion of unrest of churning, especially when society says, well, you have it all, and you should have it all, and you should be happy. And so I went through my legal career working hard and playing hard, right? And there's high-level transcendence, which is where I feel like I am now, through spirituality, through faith, through surrender. And there's low-level transcendence, which is through drinking too much and partying too much and moving around too much. And so I've tried both. And about two and a half years ago, I want to tell you a little bit about my story and then get into the real meat of why we're here, I had a complete breakdown. My life, as I knew it, drastically changed. And it had to be so hard because I kept ignoring the signs along the way because I was supposed to be okay. I should have had all of it together. And two and a half years ago, for three days straight, I couldn't get out of bed. I had hives all over my body. My client that I thought was innocent had just been executed the night before, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to go on. And I really thought it was about my work and not about me. Turns out it was about both. As one life had been taken... I was willingly giving away my own life. And that was the realization that I came to in that moment. And finally, it felt like enough was enough. But here we go again. I didn't know what to do. So when someone would say to me, what do you want out of life and what's going to make you happy? I didn't actually have an answer. I had no idea how to answer what was actually going to make me happy. I could just simply tell you what I didn't want. And what I didn't want was the feeling I was experiencing at that time. And so that took a journey to India. I had an intuitive voice that came in. Again, I didn't know it was an intuition. Two and a half years ago, if you asked me if I believed in spirit, my answer would probably be no. 
because it didn't seem like spirit was working in my life in any way, shape, or form. Certainly not in a love and light way. And so I went to India because that was the only thing that would get all the people off my back who couldn't help me figure out what was wrong and just kept asking me what was wrong without actually helping me figure out what was wrong. And so I went to India and I landed in my mom's sister's house. And she's a Reiki master and a yoga teacher. And for three months, she literally nursed me back to life. And when I say nursed, like I became a child again. She became the fairy godmother. She fed me. She clothed me. I drank a lot of water. I hydrated. I yogaed. I reikied. And I finally, finally took one little baby step, baby step, into the threshold of love and light. And that actually was the beginning of a year-long dark night of the soul. And so all of 2017 I spent in India. And so I want to talk about this topic, the dark night of the soul. How many of you in here have heard of it? Can you just give me a raise of hands? Beautiful. Does anyone feel like they've experienced it or, and or are experiencing it now? Thank you so much. So that's almost half of you in this room that have either heard of it or experienced it. And so... As we talk about this, I want to welcome your questions as they come. If something is urging or burning inside of you, please ask it. And this is my truth. What I'm going to share is my truth. Feel free to reject all of it, right? Because this is the whole point. My truth doesn't necessarily have to be your truth. I'm simply giving you tools and tricks that I learned and messages that I received in the hopes that we could all share collectively. But again, feel free to accept or reject any of it. And so I want to start with what is the dark night of the soul? It is an initiation in its most fundamental background, an initiation, crossing over a threshold, crossing over an understanding of who you are as a human and who you are in your divinity. And so as we talk about what that is, I want to remind you that it doesn't feel like a choice. You don't willingly choose to enter into this phase in your life. In fact, it's probably the opposite of a choice, you're almost forced in from the background with pressure. At least for me, that's what it was. And what I've realized now is that it happens multiple times in a life. You can have a huge dark night of the soul, or you can have many dark nights of the soul. And again, there's no right, wrong, good, or bad what actually becomes problematic is recognizing that it is only through the pain that we can get to the other side. And we are so programmed, especially in our Western society, to not go through the pain. And so the recognition that the pain in and of itself is the journey is part of what makes the dark night such a beautiful experience. And so I'm often asked, what is the difference between severe depression and the dark night of the soul? And so my answer to that is, in the dark night of the soul, you're asking yourself questions about purpose, about who am I and why am I here? 
not necessarily why do I feel so bad or what is this negative emotion and what is, you know, why does life feel like chaos? Of course, those questions will come. But the root of those questions come from who am I and why am I here? And so it's often about purpose in which the dark night arises. I also want to talk to you about the fact that I believe that there's the goddess. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, the difference between depression and the dark night of the soul, is there a sense of progression? And so by a sense of progression, do you mean forward movement, momentum? I believe that that does occur, but I believe that out of the nine stages that I'm going to talk about through the dark night of the soul, you don't necessarily feel that progression until stage four or five. I think the first four of these stages feel identical to a severe, severe depression. And then as you start seeing hope and light from a higher perspective versus I just need to get through this, that's where the progression occurs. Great question. Yeah. And so the energy that I think of the goddess Kali, and for those that are unfamiliar, the goddess Kali is she brings destruction in the sake of liberation. And as I embrace that goddess energy, that is when I recognize that the destruction had a purpose and it wasn't necessarily just to make me feel like I deserved bad things in my life. And I also want to talk briefly about the fact that we are in an ascension cycle, as some of you might have heard about. Ascension is essentially as Mama Earth is raising her own frequency currently, and we're all part of that, and we're inhabitants of that, and we're part of nature, we are all being called to ascend to a higher energetic frequency in the quantum world. And the one way we do that is through pressure, right? Even seeds, in order to grow, need pressure. Pressure is the alchemizing force as we raise frequency, and so as we raise our frequency, the best way to bring pressure is through contrast, just showing you what you don't want. So contrast through the dark night of the soul, which many of you might be experiencing, is only going to increase in the current frequency of alchemy in which we're changing not only the Earth's vibration, but also our individual vibrations from what we would call the third dimension to the fifth dimension. So I just want you to know that if you're feeling a sense of urgency as we speak, that is part of the process. And so I ask you to embrace it and encourage it as difficult as it may seem. 
because the urgency and the pressure is actually going to put us through breakthrough point and pop us out the other side. Because if we didn't have the pressure, most of us would actually just go back because it's easier. And so here are some signs that we're going through the dark night of the soul. You feel a deep sense of sadness, which often verges on despair. We can sometimes feel a deep sense of unworthiness, even though we know that we are love itself and worth has nothing to do with whether we are lovable. But that sense of unworthiness adds more pressure. We have a constant feeling of being lost or condemned or overwhelmed or unheard and unseen. We possess a painful feeling of powerlessness and hopelessness. I found myself having zero willpower. I knew I should go to the gym. I didn't do it. I knew I should eat healthier. I didn't do it. I knew I should take a minute and actually try to process all of these emotions. I didn't do it. And part of it was that I couldn't do it because doing was the exact opposite of being in the pain. Doing would just move me past it and numb it out. Again, I recognized all of this in hindsight, not when I was going through it. We also go through physical signs. So we may gain or lose weight. We may get hungry all the time. We may not get hungry at all. We may have a deep desire to quit drinking, or we may decide that we're going to numb ourselves out and drink to excess as often as we can. There's a beautiful quote that I want to read to you. The dark night of the soul is when you have lost the flavor of life, but have not yet gained the fullness of divinity. So it is that we must weather that dark time, the period of transformation, when what is familiar has been taken away and the new richness is not yet ours. That's by Ram Dass. And so I wanted to talk to you briefly, too, about the fact that the dark night can take on many forms in childhood, in young adulthood, and then as we get older. So in childhood, it can show up as abuse, our parents divorcing, being bullied, uh, being a child of someone with addictions, being a child with someone who feels hopeless and lost. And then as a youth and young adult, we have accidents, divorce, broken heart, job loss, moving households, all of the stuff, right, that actually makes us who we are, what we recognize in adulthood is all part of our growth transformation process. And as an adult, the dark night can show up suddenly or over a period of time. So currently, I help clients as a healer and a coach. I'm a results coach and a transformational healer and a Reiki master. And I have seen an influx of clients coming in, um, mostly highly successful humans on the outside, but on the inside have zero desire to be who they are. And it's in complete conflict. And so it's impacting their relationships. 
It's impacting their parenting. It's impacting whether they want to be on this planet or not. Some clients are coming in having a deep sense of wanting to go home, feeling like Earth is not their planet, not understanding the chaos, and it's literally permeating every electron and molecule of their body, both energetically and physically and mentally. Or I have other clients who come in and say, I don't know why, but I just quit my job of 10 years, and I have no idea what I'm going to do. But all I know is I can't do that one other day. So it's happening gradually or suddenly. But both processes are the same. It's a deep awakening into purpose and power, empowerment within themselves. So I want to talk to you about what I think are the seven, eight stages of the dark night. Uh, because of the prior lawyer brain, part of me is logical, and so I like linear thinking. So I want to give you some stages and some steps that you can fundamentally work through. But before I get started, are there any other questions? Yes, sir. Yeah. No problem. When dimensions are spoken about, you can't wrap your head. Yes, sir. What is the fifth dimension? Uh, a dimension is not a physical place. There is some controversy about whether there are nine dimensions or 12 dimensions or 14 dimensions in our particular universe. And I'm not going to go too off topic because that's a whole different Sunday school. <laughs> but a dimension is a frequency. And in which a different frequency exists, we exist differently. And so the fifth dimension is known as the dimension of unity consciousness, in which we go from individualized humans into a unified humanity, working from our heart chakra versus our root solar plexus and sacral chakras. And so it's a frequency band. We join together. That is the goal of transcending, of moving beyond the third dimension into the fifth dimension. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are many people amongst us living in the third dimension. There's some of us living in the fourth dimension, and there's some of us still in the third dimension, and everyone's at the right place at the right time. Absolutely. All right, so the first stage, I called it the crash, because I couldn't figure out any other word to describe it. And so, like I said, my crash came when I couldn't get out of bed for three days. And let me tell you what happens, right? The universe starts to throw you a feather when it wants you to change. Then it becomes a grain of sand. Then it becomes a stone. Then maybe it's like a baseball. Then maybe it gets like to be, you know, a turkey. And then before you know it, the whole house comes crashing down on you when you're not paying attention to all the signs. And so I was stubborn, and I ignored all of the signs. And when the crash came, the crash came big, and it came hard, and it came fast. And I didn't know at all what to do. And for the first time in my life, I questioned whether I wanted to exist. 
I questioned whether it was worth the effort. Because I promise you, I couldn't find an answer. And I knew the answer wasn't at the therapist's office, which I'm not saying that's bad, but it wasn't. For me, my answer was not going to be an antidepressant. That was just not the answer I was seeking. Spe like specifically because of the work I did in the prison system and the jail system, knowing the addictions that surround the addictions. And so when the crash came, I didn't pray because I didn't know who to pray to. I didn't eat because I didn't know what to eat. And I didn't at all get out of my bed or my house. And so when the crash comes, it's like life is falling apart at lightning speed. And we have no idea what to do with it. And for anyone in that stage, I honor it and I know how difficult it may be. But it is only stage one. And there's seven more to go. And at the end of those seven, the rainbows and butterflies are beautiful. <laughs> and it's different for each of us, right? And so stage two that I want to talk about, it's called falling into the unknown. So the lawyer in me wanted to strategize what was wrong. I wanted to know the evidence and the facts. I wanted to know all the tools I had in my tool belt to fix it. And I certainly didn't want to surrender. I didn't want to fall into the unknown. But here's what life had in store for me. There was nothing I knew that could fix the crash. And so as I fell into the unknown, the persona I had created, my ego, was really, really trying its very best to allow me to pretend that it wasn't as bad as it was. And so that comes after the crash, right? We don't know how to go through the pain. And so the ego steps in in its beautiful way, in its way that it's supposed to actually work for us. And it says, oh, it's not so bad. You'll figure it out. Don't go into that deep, dark place of the unknown. Go to the gym, go to the doctor, talk to everyone. And when you do that, you recognize that, again, people don't know how to help you. And so as you fall into this beautiful place of the unknown, and you're holding on to life with clenched hands, you have to say to yourself, I'm afraid, and fear is going to come along for the ride, and I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm going to do it anyways. Knowing that fear and the false self of who you are is just in your ear. And so I just encourage you to embrace the fear as much as you can, knowing again it's leading up to the pressure point. The third stage, I called it being in the underworld. Because here's what happens when you go into fear. You enter what I would consider a very yin energy. And the yin is the feminine and the flow of receiving. Right? Because fear takes surrender. Fear takes allowing. And so while the crash is a very yang, masculine, action-based energy, 
the underworld and the fear becomes the yin, the womb, the sacred womb, where all of our secrets and hopes and tools lie. But before you can get to those beautiful place, you have to go through the underworld. And in the underworld, guess what? That's the shadow, right? It's all of the stuff that we don't want to think about, that we pretend we don't have in us, that we want to talk about about everybody else but not about us. And so my shadow, which I'm going to reveal to you today, was my biggest one was judgment. Here I am in a profession where I'm representing people who are judged, and I'm angry that my clients are being judged, and guess what my biggest shadow was? Judgment. Right? Because we teach what we need to learn. (laughs) And so what did that mean? That meant not only was I judging everybody else, I was judging myself the most. And in that judgment, I was unworthy, I was unlovable, I was undesirable, I was un-everything. And so in the shadow, I was rejecting love, I was rejecting hope, I was rejecting anything that I didn't believe I was worthy of. And so in the underworld too, in that place of flow of yin energy, what I recognized I had to do was I had to become the mother I never had. I had to become the father I never had. The little girl inside of me that we all have, a little girl and a little boy energy inside of us that I had actually ignored. I was now old enough and smart enough and wise enough to actually take care of her. But in order to take care of her, I had to become her friend again. And so what does that literally mean? That means I had to spend hours and hours and hours alone trying to figure out what was real and what was a false limiting decision I had about myself. I'm not saying the work is easy. It's effort-filled. But I can tell you the beauty on the other side is worth every piece of this effort. And I didn't do it well all the time. In fact, there were many days where I said, I don't actually want to think about this shit anymore. I don't want to think about this. I want to go out and do something else. And I did. And then it would just call me back. It would just pull me back. Because the effort of the universe, when it actually conspires in your favor, which is what the dark night of the soul is in the friendly universe that we live in, once you've crossed that threshold and said, I'm in, it's not going to let you go. And so instead of resisting, I just allowed for space. And that space of the underworld for me felt like it was six years. But I think it was about six months. But it felt like six years. And in that place, I lost everything. I lost family. I lost friends. I lost my partner. Because I didn't know who I was. And so therefore, I couldn't let anyone know who I was. And therefore, I couldn't be who they wanted me to be. Because here's the thing. There's this whole theory 
I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who you think I think you are. I am who you, I think you think I am. Does that make sense? Should I repeat that? (laughs) I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. That's how personality gets formed. And so when I couldn't figure out who you thought I was, I couldn't show up. And when people couldn't figure out who they thought I was, I couldn't show up for them either. And so in that space, in the underworld, the shadow was real. And here's what happens after the underworld. The unraveling. The ego. The personality. The rage. The anger. Because when you recognize your deepest wounding, the grief and the pain and the anger and the rage start to rise. And the first thing that happens is they rise towards others. But we all know that's not actually where it's supposed to go. But they rise towards the caretakers. Well, if they hadn't done this, and I wouldn't be like this. And if she hadn't said that, then I wouldn't have said that. And so in the unraveling, what I had to actually learn, the biggest lesson was forgiveness. And forgiveness, right, is giving up the hope that the past would have been any different. So I had to let go of the hope. Giving up the hope that the past could have been any different. And in learning true forgiveness, that is one of the quintessential lessons of the dark night of the soul. But not before there was a lot of rage and a lot of anger and a lot of shame and a lot of grief. And all of those emotions, as I went through them, I felt like I was shedding layers of ancestral trauma, which, by the way, we do when we go through a process like this. And I was creating an empowered version of myself. Because here's the key. When I learned forgiveness for others, ultimately I learned how to forgive myself. And now we're getting to a little bit of light, right? We've gone through all of these layers of what I would call uh, lower density, heavy anchors of emotions that cause energetic blocks. Through this whole process, I want you to know that I worked with healers. I worked with coaches. I came into shops like Modern Mystic and got my crystals. I figured out the tools that I needed because I actually recognized that as much as I wanted to do it alone... What I really wanted was a teacher and a guide and a mentor. And so I found one. And she is still one of my primary soulmates in life because I learned exactly how to take care of myself with all of this energetic work of healing. One of the best things I did was invest in uh, someone who had been through this before Because what I recognized was that while books were great, what I really wanted was an experiential communication with someone who could personalize their answers for me. 
And I figured that out probably right around I figured out that I was really angry and rageful and I needed to get past that. So as we go through that, we go to transcending our pain. And by transcending versus transforming, I use that word intentionally because I don't want to transform. I want to transcend. And transcend means to move beyond. And so I wanted to learn how to move beyond the pain. And then the next step is being with myself now that I finally felt that I'd come back to some version of balance, that I'd completely emptied out, and now came the task of what was I going to fill myself back up with. Because you can't actually fill yourself back up with the love and the light and the beauty that you want until we empty out all of the density of the energy below. And so as I figured out what to do with that, and as my clients come through my doors today, this is where the journaling was helpful. It wasn't helpful for me before. It only came after, when I could actually hear with clarity my thoughts. This is where meditation started to become helpful. I couldn't meditate before this stage because all I wanted to do was punch a wall. It just, I wasn't going to be able to sit still. So I want you to know there's no right or wrong way. You can't necessarily start meditating if you're in the underworld, right? You can't necessarily start doing crystals if you're still in the crash. And that's okay. But now that I'm transcending the pain and trying to figure out what was happening to me and how I was going to become this new version of whatever I was... That's where the real healing actually started or felt like real traditional healing actually started for me. I'll tell you it was at that point too where I decided it was time to fall in love with myself. Because I didn't recognize the person I was waiting for the entire time was me. I was looking for a man, I was looking for a parent, I was looking for a friend, I was looking for a job, I was looking for a house, I was, I was looking all around me. And it's only then, when I transcended the pain, that I was fully in awareness that I was the one I had been waiting for. And so I took myself out on dates. I nourished myself by cooking food. I started swimming lessons. I started dance lessons. I started filling myself with the energy of the life I knew in the quantum field of possibility. Right? So here's how it works. We have these waves of possibility up here in what we call the quantum field. And all of us are trying to bring them down into what we call particles of reality. But the only way the waves can turn into particles of reality is if my frequency matches the frequency of the emotion up in the quantum field. And so finally, I was like, oh, I'm getting it, getting it. I'm getting it. So if I want happy, guess what? I have to be happy. Because like attracts like, and that's just physics. So then the dates and the nourishment and the laughter and the joy and the apologizing to my friends that I had neglected, helping them understand where I'd been. And finally, in that, I was able to, what we do in the Divine Feminine Mystery Schools is what we call the practice of empty presence. 
which is where you sit and you cultivate a presence after you empty your body in meditation. And instead of doing a guided meditation, you become space. And it was in that space when I was finally able to listen to this thing called intuition. And I was like, oh, wait, there's this higher self guiding me that has always got the perfect blueprint for my health, wealth, and happiness. And here's the other thing I figured out in my training. The higher self only speaks to the unconscious mind. And the only way you can hear the unconscious mind is if you're still. And we're always in a trance of the unconscious mind. The question is, not are we in a trance, but are we in a trance of failure or are we in a trance of success? And so as I wanted to become into a trance of success, I decided I'm going to show up as the person I really want to be. And it was scary. It was unfamiliar. And I'm still trying to figure out who that is every day. But what I do know is that I could not have been this human if I had not gone through the other stages of the dark night. My whole dark night of soul, I feel, lasted about a year and a half. And if I'm being completely truthful, I think there's another one coming. And I feel it. And I'm actually quite excited about it. <laughs> um, and then you begin to trust. And then you begin to emerge. And the metamorphosis, right, of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. And the beautiful part of all of that is arising within us and arising within all of us and arising on the planet. There are people who believe that Mother Earth is about three-fourths of the way through her own dark night of the soul, which is why we're seeing so much of the political unrest and the movements that are arising, especially uh, in our part of the country, our part of the world, that uh, Mama Earth is going through her own dark night and that 2020 is the year she's going to come out of it. So we'll have to wait and see on that. So I just have a few other tips and tools um, about how to move through the dark night. And the first one is accept it. Don't resist it. Remember that it's happening for you and not to you, almost like all of life. And as you accept it, embrace it. Take it one step further. Be mindful of your words. So again, every time we speak, we're casting a spell into the universe. It's a spell. Because our thoughts become emotion, our emotion becomes energy, our energy becomes ease or dis-ease in our body and our mind and our spirit. So as often as you can, remind yourself that the thoughts are spells. So if you keep telling yourself you are broken, that's the spell you're casting. But if you tell yourself, I am embracing and growing, that's the spell you're casting, right? We're trying to get the waves of possibility into particles of reality. And our speech and our thoughts are the way in which we do that. Feed your soul. Feed your soul. Do active, active self-care. Radical self-care. I don't mean a manicure, pedicure. That's fantastic. But I mean like radical self-care. 
care. Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. Even in the darkest of times. Even when you don't want to do it. The inner work is powerful. And I want you to... I recognized somewhere along the way that I wanted to watch for signs. People kept telling me, what's the universe telling you? And I couldn't figure out how the universe was talking to me. So here's how I, what I did figure out. The universe always speaks to us in a language we understand. And so for me, I'm a type A person on this side and a very flowy person on this side. And so what that meant was if I walk into a coffee shop and my energy is drawn towards, let's say, a mother and a daughter somewhere in the corner, then my job was to pay attention. Because I recognized that my energy would not be magnetized towards some random people unless there was something for me to learn. And so when I walked into the coffee shop, I would ask myself, and I still do this every day, okay, is that mother and daughter interaction something that needs healing within me? Or is it something that I want in my life? What is the universe trying to tell me by drawing my attention to this sign? So remember, every interaction, every moment, if we wanted to, can be a metaphor. The universe is constantly speaking to us in metaphors. So watch for the signs no matter where in the stage that you are. There is no roadmap. It's time to trust your instincts. There's absolutely no right or wrong way to do this. And there's absolutely no single person on the planet or in the universe that is going to have an experience identical to yours. And so while it's really beautiful to communicate, a big part of the dark night is learning to trust our own intuition and our own instincts. Find a spiritual teacher or mentor. And then the last one that I can tell you that I work on on a daily basis is surrender. And so what does active surrender mean? That means knowing that even in the last moment of the last day, you will be taken care of. Even in the last moment of the last day, you will be taken care of. And surrender is a primary spiritual concept that the dark night of the soul is trying to teach us. Yes, sir. So the question is, does positive thinking prevent us or suppress? Can it serve as an avoidance of denial? I'm going to, yes. And so I don't believe in the quote of good vibes only. I believe that all emotion is necessary and powerful and that we shouldn't strive to be in a constant state of positivity because that is unattainable. However, I do believe, and I know for a fact through science, that our thoughts cast spells. 
And so I can say to myself, I am unworthy. Cancel, 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 which is literally what I say to myself every time I think of a thought that I don't want to think of. And I can then go into the process of why do I think that? And then I reframe it. And I'm going to give you a real trick. This is like a, a real trick. When you use words with the I-N-G at the end of it, in what we call quantum linguistics, you create movement. So if you say things like, I am enjoying and creating a life of my dreams, that creates momentum to bring the waves of possibility down into the particle of reality. That's all I mean by positive intention. I'm not at all trying to say to not embrace what we would call lower frequency emotions. And the labels, remember, are positive and negative are labels we put on them. The emotion itself is not positive or negative. Yeah. So the question is, is, the, is forgiveness recognizing that you cannot change the past? So I'll take it one step further. In Eastern philosophy, so I was raised Hindu. In Eastern philosophy, the belief is not only is the past not going to be changed, the past can't be changed because you co-created it. You asked for everything that happened in your past. Your soul and the blueprint of your soul that was created before you ever incarnated on planet Earth set up every lesson beautifully for you. And so not only can you not change it, you actually don't want to change it because it is the beautiful co-creation that brings you here today. And I think that's a real, for me, that's been a real gift of, of having a very deep roots in Eastern spirituality is knowing that I am the creator in every situation, whether I like that situation or not. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, you were talking about urgency being part of the process and part of feeling that pressure. What would be the difference between feeling the urgency and desperation? So the question is, what is the difference between feeling your urgency and desperation? I would say that urgency is a forward momentum, and desperation is a block of energy. It would block from receiving what you want to receive. And as you move forward, you probably will feel both, desperation and urgency. But if you can switch the desperation to a momentum, then it can actually be part of the pressure point that moves you forward into progression. That, right, you, you always, I wouldn't, 
My, I never, ever don't want to honor every feeling that's arising. I oftentimes wonder, though, am I putting the right label on whatever the feeling is? Or is it irrelevant, the label I put on it? Is it more important that I feel it, embrace it, work through it, and move beyond it? Right? Because sometimes I wonder if the label I put on it makes the experience harder than it needs to be. And so I have a teacher who says emotions should be like screen doors. They just sort of flow in and out through you. And if you have a full brick door, that's the problem. Not the emotion itself, but the filter through which the emotion goes. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. The question is, how do I know that we made our choices prior to incarnating on the planet? That's your question. I know because it's my truth. But it doesn't have to be your truth. That means that I believe that I live in a friendly universe. And I know that no matter what happens to me, it is not who I am, and that if it's happening to me, it's happening for me, and if it's happening for me, then I created it. Yes, sir. Do you have an answer to his question? Some people have said that uh, when you experience something, their milepost, you, you say, I've been here before, but you haven't. It's a milepost to let you know that you're on the right path. So that would support uh, uh, that you made a decision to accept things before you came here. Those mile points that you say, you, when you see them, thank you. The word is deja vu. I've been here, and the and the reason that it becomes significant to you is at the point that you say deja vu. It's always peace. You feel a moment, an instant of peace, and that is when at the end of your life, in the very last moment you feel that peace, that there's something for you, it is the same kind of peace. You are going to a further stage, transcending. So what he's saying is, is he sees that as an assertion that his life 